Welcome to Father's Pictures Universe at the intersection of faith and reason. I'm Doug Keck, your gatekeeper here at the Mothership, where it all began in Irondale, Alabama, thanks to our foundress, Mother Angelica. You're important to this show. Your questions are important. Send them to us at Spitzer's University, W10.com. Check out all of Father Spitzer's websites. There's the Magiscenter.com and PurposefulUniverse.com and SpitzerCenter.org. And of course, Father Spitzer's Universe, as we say each week, is always available on our YouTube channel and especially on our EW10 On Demand page where we have a plethora of programs. While you're at it, on an On Demand page, check out A Biblical Way of Praying the Mass with a very popular priest, Father Timothy Gallagher, explores the teachings and Eucharistic wisdom of Venerable Bruno Latari, helping you grow in prayer during Mass. And uh, you can see it now, and it's free, and it's on demand, and it's, it's very important to Father Gallagher because Bruno was very, very important in his own spiritual life and in, and in his community's life. And don't forget that we've got Father's book on the moral wisdom of the Catholic Church is still available through our religious catalog. And of course, uh, that is the topic we continue. The book of the month for January is Standing Strong, Good Discipline Makes Great Teens by the one and only Dr. Ray Garendi. So if he says it, it's got to be true. And speaking of got to be true, <laughs> we, t we turn to our own answer man, uh, Father Robert Spitzer. And just before we, uh, we we ask you, as always, to pray, uh, you know, for our audience, we wanted to call out uh, the loss, a great loss here at EW10, yeah. to uh, a good friend of yours and mine and a wonderful co-worker, uh, Lee South, who uh, was my producer on Bookmark for 25-plus years and a, a great, great friend. Uh, you know, her name was uh, Lee South, but her first name was really Dinah, and she was a dynamo. and. Uh, yeah. She was dynamite for EWTN and a, a, literally a den mother here for EWTN and so many young employees and a great ambassador over the years, a good friend to Joni, and, and really will be missed so much here at EWTN. You know, I used to say on the Bookmark show, she was my better half. She's not only right, my right arm, she was like my right brain, and, uh, and she's yeah. going to leave a, a, a very large hole. Yeah in EW10, and it was uh, yeah. very sad, and it was unfortunately very sudden to lose such a wonderful, lovely person for EW10, but we know she's praying for us all, and with that, if you could pray for her as well, that would be great, Father. Y you bet. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, we ask you to bless in your heavenly kingdom our dear, dear friend, Lee South, and just um, bring her and her um, uh, family uh, to consolation, her with uh, you in your blessedness and beatitude, and her family with great consolation and trust in you. Please bless to all of our EWTN staff who miss her very, very much. Send your Holy Spirit down upon us now today, uh, Doug, myself, our whole audience and staff, so that everything that we do and say will be brought to fruition in your will for the good of your people, your church, and your kingdom. We ask all of these things through Jesus our Lord. Amen. Amen. And Mary, seat of wisdom, pray, pray for, for us. us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you so much, Father. Thank you. Hopefully you had uh, a good Christmas and, uh, and, and a good New Year as we roll into the New Year here. Lots of things going on, obviously, in the church that people can read about. And we'll, we'll talk yeah. about a couple of stories that are out there that sure. I think are important. One. Um, I thought this was an interesting story. Tom Williams, uh, 
had put out through Breitbart, uh, and talking about the Islamist militants carried out a coordinated attack on Christian communities in northeastern Nigeria on New Year's Day, killing at least 14. Goes on to say the assailants also burned yeah. down several homes and a church during the attack on the community. Uh, quote here, these lethal January attacks followed on a Christmas killing spree, which in Nigeria as well, that left 300 Christians dead. Uh, and Father Andrew Dewan from the local uh, diocese said the unprovoked attacks were well-coordinated, deliberate, and specifically were targeting Christian communities. He goes on to say, I can confirm that the victims are 100% Christian uh, because other people, Fulanis, were not affected, no Fulani houses were burned down because some of them were burned down. For those who believe this conflict yeah. is not religious, this latest attack proves it's clearly a religious conflict. And I heard somebody say, you know, the idea that it seems to be that black lives matter, and they should, and they do, uh, unless you happen to be a Christian and maybe live in Nigeria, because we never hear about any of this stuff, yeah. and nobody's ever talking about these people who are just being butchered. Yeah, exactly. I actually heard about the, uh, um, the massacre of, of the Christians there in Nigeria. I mean, obviously, you know, I would hope um, that the Nigerian government could appropriately respond to what is obviously maybe not a religious genocide, but certainly a religious massacre. Mm. Uh, this kind of thing really does not belong to the 21st century. But apparently we're right back at it, and um, supposedly the Nigerian government uh, is um, neutral in uh, such religious conflicts. They should really be taking some steps uh, to protect Christians and certainly to share intelligence where you know a coordinated massacre is going to occur. I'm not saying that they did, mm -hmm. but if they do, they should really be sharing this uh, with not only the police, but with the communities that are affected. Mm -hmm. And I would very much hope that our government would um, support these kinds of um, uh, efforts to, to protect the lives of innocent uh, not just women and children, but innocent men mm -hmm. uh, who do not deserve to die simply because they're Christians uh, in this world. And if this is the work of the Islamic fundamentalists, uh, you know, obviously it betrays, mm -hmm. uh, you know, something uh, amiss, uh, you know, in the moral fabric of uh, those, um, you know, uh, fringes of the, um, of the, of the uh, Islamic community that have turned to violence as a means of quote-unquote uh, supposed evangelization. Mm -hmm. And that just, uh, I hope that other uh, Muslims will speak up against this. Uh, obviously, it, it is religiously directed, um, as the good priest there said. And uh, my hope is that we can bring some forces to bear that will start protecting innocent lives in the future. Right. Exactly. Well, since you had mentioned uh, our government reaching out and helping people around the, the world, uh, Here's, a, here's a, mm -hmm. an article that just came out uh, as well on Daily Caller. Climate Solutions, Biden administration sent 65 million condoms abroad as part of family planning program. And this is fiscal 2022. And uh, I thought this was interesting because not only uh, this was going on, but the connection to climate change, believe it or not. The document specifically cites uh, the impact of population dynamics on natural resources and state stability as one of the benefits of family planning, okay? 
while a 2023 USAID document directly asserts that, quote unquote, climate vulnerability, population growth, and unmet need for family planning often occur together, uh, touting family planning as a climate solution. And we've talked about on this program that a lot of this Ugh. kind of climate uh, discussion is is basically uh, a cover for for a lot of population control uh, programs, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, of course, you know, you're talking about climate control coming in a developing country as a, as a result of, of uh, you know, population explosion. I mean, this is, this is like saying, okay, like in China and India, where you have this just huge amounts, huge amounts of, of, uh, of carbon um, particulates that are being, you know, thrown into the air, you know, to the point where people are wearing face masks in public. I mean, these are huge industrial producers of, of pollution, mm -hmm. uh, you know, that are going on. And we're worried about a developing country having some uh, people who might populate that one billionth of what's going on, you know, one trillionth yeah. of what's going on in any one of those big industrialized, uh, you know, contexts. Are you kidding me? I mean, that's so laughable. Uh, I mean, I, I, I can't even get an analogy to compare it with. I mean, we're just literally pounding a mosquito with a with a, an atomic bomb. Uh, instead of actually, uh, you know, uh, taking out, you know, the the, the real source of of, of the pollution, uh, of the pollution, mm -hmm. I, I'm just uh, just amazed, right. absolutely amazed at, at how propaganda can be so obfuscational, uh, you know, of the of the real truth of the matter, you know. And when are we going to figure out? And sorry to get so excited here, but you know, when it's are we going to figure out that we're going to face a population implosion right. in 2076, well, that's, and, the, and it's going to start right. in 2063, and then it's going to get worse and worse until every developed nation in the world is going to experience truly an implosion that will put all the pressure on the younger generation, which will then be one-fourth of the actual older generation of those countries to provide the financing in total for all of the services, not just the, the medical services and the social services, but all of the other services that will be required when the young dynamic working force is at a minimum. I mean, are you kidding me? This is just such richly, you know, opposite, Malthusian logic, which was mm -hmm. disproven over 40 years ago. I mean, what in the world are we talking about? I, I, honestly, mm. I, I mean, uh, you know, if, right. if the president wants to associate his name with this nonsense, with yes. this utterly destructive yes, nonsense, yeah. with yeah. this, no right. yes, then he, he can go right ahead and do it. But I think it right. is... Uh, positively awful and I think it's positively bad not just for developing countries it's positively right. bad for the developed countries and by the way you know um, uh, all I can say is is you know if this is the kind of truth we can expect uh, you know from you know this uh, sort of administrative state then you know uh, we need to expose it and let's right. let's yell about it anyway I'm right. gonna yell about it because I think it is just so awful so wrong right. And so destructive, and even self-destructive, uh, to um, well, uh, to our citizens as well. Well, to, to pick up what, on what you just said about population, here's another story that uh, this one I think is uh, from, uh, might be from CNA. Uh, no, it's a Wall Street Journal. Actually, mm -hmm. I'm sorry. It said China is pressing women to have more babies. 
Many are saying no. The population yeah. now around 1.4 billion is likely to drop to around half a billion by 2100. And women are being blamed. The yeah. article goes on to say that when Beijing said it would abolish the 35-year-old one-child policy, which they abolished about eight years ago, eight or nine years ago, officials expected yeah. a baby boom. Instead, they got a baby bust. The one-child policy brought much of China's demographic gloom. There are fewer young people than in the past, including a million fewer women of childbearing age, because we know there was a lot of sex selection going on. If you were only going to have one, yep. you wanted a guy, uh, you know, to, to help yep. the family out. These women are increasingly yep. reluctant to marry and have children, uh, accelerating the population decline. That's another situation I know certainly yep. uh, in Japan where lots of young women yeah. don't want to get married or if they want to get married they don't want to have children so yep no no absolutely the truth i mean uh there china and uh, japan are the two mm. foremost countries to experience the population implosion for the rest of the world it'll happen in 2076 uh, for china and japan it will probably happen about 12 years from now where they're going to face a really an economically almost unsustainable situation you have to have creative intellect you have to have not just you know we're not talking about labor for factories <clears throat> we're talking about brains creative brains to you know uh, continue uh, the economic uh, 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 forward uh, push and not only that but to oversee all of the the various manufacturing operations etc i mean this is just not going to be there and of course when uh, you know the bottom falls out uh, from the dearth in the labor market mm -hmm. in China, I mean, it's really going to be a fallout that will not just affect disastrously uh, China's economy, mm -hmm. uh, but I'm afraid it's going to affect worldwide economy as well. Right. So um, I, this is coming. Uh, it's certainly going to come in Japan, and then it's going to move right over into Europe, in Italy, and in uh, Germany in particular uh, right now. You get the two mm -hmm. uh, lowest uh, population uh, rates. And of course, uh, if, uh, you know, uh, right now turning to immigration to try and resolve the problem is what, you know, these countries are going to have to do. So I think uh, if they right. don't, um, a turn to massive immigration uh, within about 12 years um, into both China and Japan, and uh, obviously Germany and, right. and Italy have already experienced it uh, full on. Um, then uh, China, I would say China, that you're China and see Japan a are collapse. Are culturally not open to immigration. I mean, I think that's a fair that's statement. That's the problem. And it is a fair statement, and I uh, have several articles that I uh, mention in my book, mm. Moral Wisdom of the Catholic Church, uh, where it just says you right. have to have that openness right. uh, to uh, immigration, and without it, you are leaving yourself with zero options. There's only two ways out of the economic uh, crunch, I mean severe economic crunch, that will take place in a population implosion. By the way, uh, people like Elon Musk are saying this. It's not mm. just demographic experts at the Lancet, you know, the medical journal mm. in, in Great Britain or something that are uh, doing the making these predictions. So the, the main thing, though, is uh, when you, you see what is going to happen in this economic tr uh, uh, crunch, mm -hmm. uh, you, you've got two options. You have more babies, um, you know, within the country itself, or you have massive immigration. But if you have zero, you will, the bottom will fall out of your economy. There's just no way around right. it. It's a horrible solution. Paul Ehrlich's numbers were so 
Malthusianly wrong, right. you know, way back in the early days. All I can tell you is right. uh, uh, this is pretty much a, a crisis situation for China. And, and you know, right now they, they should be paying people. Uh, if they, you can't pay people to have two ch kids, pay at least a few willing ones to have five right. or six. But they're going to have to do something radical to increase their own population. But uh, for China, immigration, massive immigration, is going to be unavoidable. Right. Uh, mark my words on this. Mm -hmm. um, you can just see the the writing on the wall. You don't have right. to be, you know, Einstein's brother to figure this out. Right, right, yeah, right. Uh, speaking of that and kind of dovetailing into that, uh, uh, our Holy Father recently uh, called surrogacy deplorable and called for a global ban on the exploitive practice of so-called surrogate motherhood in a speech to all of the world's ambassadors at the Vatican just, uh, I think, this past week. Uh, he called on the international community to prohibit the practice of surrogacy universally. The quote is, at every moment of its existence, human life must be preserved and defended, yet I note with regret, especially in the West, continued spread of a culture of death which, in the name of false compassion, discards children, the elderly, and the sick. And, of course, you know, you're dealing with people, these situations, sometimes you're dealing with the surrogacy uh, because of the fact that there's, there's not children available, quote-unquote, to be adopted. Sometimes it's because you're dealing with uh, gay couples who don't have the ability to necessarily themselves procreate. Uh, so that's involved with this, too. Yeah, I mean, I think the pope uh, is really right on target here. I mean, the, the, the key problem, of course, it goes back to abortion itself, because that's why you have a backlog uh, of uh, children for adoption. But I, I think it's six years now um, uh, in the United States. And, you know, even then, if, you know, waiting the six years, wonderful couples trying to get ch children, et cetera, et cetera, um, you know, they, they can still be turned down mm -hmm. for a variety of reasons. I mean, there, it's, there's no guarantee. It is that, in other words, you know, supply and demand. If the supply is really, really short, there's just not going to be the children available. Now you've got the, you know, it used to be we could, you could go to Russia, Korea, mm. other places and, um, you know, adopt a children. But now with these immigration laws, I mean, these um, uh, um, uh, laws tightening, um, mm. you know, from the various, um, you know, used to be uh, countries that were open to adopt, uh, you know, um, foreign adoption. Now those things are shutting down uh, with new restrictive laws. And mm -hmm. so couples are honestly becoming desperate. Mm -hmm. And um, the, the problem I think that the Pope is addressing is you now have this like sub little, you know, um, undercurrent cottage industry. black market right. cottage, uh, industry. cottage industry. That's right. what I'm looking for. Right. Uh, cottage industry where uh, um, people are really you know, putting themselves up for, you know, huge prices, mm -hmm. right? I mean, we're talking about hundreds of thousands of dollars to have a surrogate um, uh, child, uh, and it's so lucrative. Um, it's turning childbearing and the love of childbearing and, and the eternity mm -hmm. uh, of childbearing, it's turning it into a money proposition for hundreds of thousands of dollars. Unfortunately, so many of the couples that are doing this, you know, you can't blame them for taking advantage of the cottage industry because there are no babies mm -hmm. and they're desperate. They, they know I could wait six, seven, eight years and still not get a baby. Uh, I, you know, I'm going to 
I got a hundred, a couple of hundred thousand. I'm going to do it. And so, of course, what's happening is, mm -hmm. you know, I, I, I don't. You know, I, I don't encourage them at all to do this, but what I'm saying is you can see what's going on. Right. There are profiteers out there that are just literally taking advantage of it, mm. and those profiteers are, are you know, right. well, that's basically you get turning, into, you know, uh, these... Human trafficking, which dovetails into all of this yeah. as well, right? Yes, it does. Yes. All of it, you know... You know, dovetails into the. You know, uh, frankly, it's so dark; it's unbelievable, right. Right. and you just have to believe the intricacy of this dark web. Um, and no pun intended on right. the internet, but the dark web. I'm telling you, this is uh, uh, very much a plot of you know who. Right. I mean, it is so well crafted, so well intertwined uh, with all of these different issues. You just know. Right. that the preparation work was started 25 years ago by the evil spirit himself. Right. I mean, I just think it's utterly satanic what's going on. Right. And, well, the Pope's right to challenge it, right. and he's certainly right to challenge the cottage industry, the materialization mm -hmm. of, of the, you know, the process, the wonderful holy and mm -hmm. sacred process of giving birth to a little right. eternity. I mean, this is, they're made for God, made for eternity, made with transcendence, made with a soul, created with a soul. I mean, what are we talking about? You know, we're turning it into the cottage industry for a couple hundred thousand bucks a piece. It's right. really, really And taking advantage part of, uh, part of uh, the uh, awfulness. Of, of uh, people who aren't as well off, who are put in desperate situations at yep. times. And, uh, you know, so. Yeah, the people absolutely. that they're all so worried about all the other times. Uh, another story yeah. that, that kind of yeah. dovetails into in, into this, and also what you've talked about many times in the past, the idea that uh, there's a, a study that came out looking retrospectively back at the gender identity development services that the UK was running that were shut down, and it says nearly 400 yeah. children between the ages of three and six were sent to this particular place that got shuttered. Of the group, 73 children yeah. referred to the disgraced facility were reported to be three or four years of age. Okay, this is the reality yeah. we're talking yeah. about here. Statistics produced by the trust yeah. show that the astonishing growth in numbers, this is also, of young people seen there over the past decade. Okay, in, in 2010 to 2011, they were seeing 136 people, kids. In 2021 to 2022, before it got shut down, it was 3,500 plus, okay? Yeah. They were seeing. As Catholic Vote, and this was an article in the Catholic Vote, previously reported, Tavistock ran, and that's the location, an infamous facility that gave so-called gender-affirming care to minors until it was shut down by the Britain's uh, National Health Service last year, and they were dealing at times with kids as young as three. It was a horror show. Yeah. Well. <laughs> Yeah, we'll talk about another outrage, you know, talk about the evil spirit. But here we go again. And uh, now, uh, as you probably know, Great Britain has now reversed itself and will not provide any government funding nor any government support for gender-affirming care mm -hmm. because, of course, in their words, the risks and the damage far outweigh the benefits. So Britain has had a complete conversion and turned around on this. But of course, some of these <laughs> violator clinics, like the one you're talking uh, mm -hmm. about that um, 
uh, Catholic vote has exposed there, um, that surely um, uh, is just, I mean, it's, it's pushing even gender-affirming care in Britain's good old days, as it were, quote-unquote, right, the scare quotes, uh, in the good old days of, of, uh, of uh, Great Britain's forward thinking that put all this uh, into practice. The main thing that's also been discovered is to do this to a, to a pre-adolescent. No development of the frontal cortex, right? They have no capacity uh, for making a judgment of this magnitude, of this permanence for their whole life. And they suddenly have a whim that they want to be, uh, you know, the, the sex opposite of the, their biological sex. And of course, all of a sudden, because they want this, or they have a whim uh, mm -hmm. with a completely undeveloped frontal cortex, parents are rushing in to support them and then they take them off and, and put them in one of these clinics where they're getting literally hormones introduced into every cell of their body that has a composite that responds to the opposite hormone. So you're dumping in double X hormones into a kid that has Y chromosome in every single cell of his body, or you're dumping in, uh, you know, um, Y chromosome, uh, uh, you know, uh, hormones, uh, you know, that, that uh, would be, um, you know, appropriate for a boy into mm -hmm. a double X, uh, 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 you know, chromosome in every cell of that girl's body and you look at that and you simply say to yourself are you kidding me I mean what's this gonna do of course the mortality rate is gonna triple it'll triple the minute you start this process look at that 50-year Netherlands study uh, I, I think it was the, the the Den Hagen study I think it was called uh, you know that was uh, done they couldn't even lower the mortality rate one percent after 50 years of, of trying to do it by various methods and and, and you look at that and go of course that's going to happen of mm -hmm. course the emotional and debilitating effect of course the suicide rates are going to jump through the ceiling of course the depression and anxiety Rates, uh, rates are going to jump through this thing. And why? Because they're not treating the real causes of the gender dysphoria. That's why they're not treating the abuse that underlies gender dysphoria. They're not treating the anxiety in the household that underlies gender dysphoria. They're not treating the encouragement from parents who are sitting there encouraging a child without any frontal cord to, you know, a development, right. I guess, encouraging them, go right ahead, you know, we, we really want you to do it. They're not treating the real reasons behind the right. Gender dysphoria. They're treating instead what a child thinks is the cause of his dys dysphoria, which we now know has have absolutely no biological cause whatsoever. Right. There's no biological, um, you know, cause of uh, uh, you know the feeling that I'm a man trapped in a woman's body, or uh, the feeling that I'm a woman right. trapped in a man's body. So the the point, of course, is pretty clear. This whole thing. From start to finish, uh, you know, Great Britain and Sweden and Netherlands and so forth all started the trend. Guess who's stopping the trend right now? Of course, Great Britain and Norway and Sweden and Finland and so forth and so on. All the great precursors of the trend are now the, the people who are going, whoa, what have we done? This has been a terrible abuse. And of course, that clinic, that clinic. To, to treat right. a pre-adolescent, I mean, 
This is like, you got to be kidding me. Right, absolutely. You know, I mean, just let that kid find his own biologically uh, sexual identity, which, of course, they do the vast majority of right. the time if you just leave them alone. Right. And, of course, if they don't, you treat the, you know, the real causes like uh, sexual abuse and so forth that, well, that engender this thing or the anxiety in the household, you treat those causes and they move right, right back to their own biological right. sex. Right, and you would think with some of that stuff, too, uh, uh, with the age of these pe children being so young, maybe it's the, the parents or the parent who needs some psychological help uh, as well and because a lot of that oh. stuff is, is being driven by that. One last quick story before we get to it's a question. It's so and, medically unethical right. and, you know, and especially to suck parents into this kind right. of belief. Absolutely. The, the ethics of this just borderlines on one of the outrages of the medical profession besides, of course, abortion. Right. right. Yeah. Just before we go, uh, I saw a story here. It was uh, it was a promo for the Journey Home, and I was I was shocked. It said Mr. Universe goes back to confession, and I said, "Wait a second, Father Spitzer's Mr. Universe, and he uh, he is he has been uh, he, he hears confessions, but apparently it was a, a guy named Mick Souza who, who was Mr. Universe back in 1992. You might have known him. Uh, anyway." He was on the journey home, and he, he said when he started to revisit yeah. the idea of faith, he went to different Christian congregations, but felt the Holy Spirit calling him back yeah. to the sacrament of confession in the Catholic Church that he had been raised in. So yeah. that's an episode of the journey home. So I noticed that. I saw, So I, I was going to let him know he shouldn't be using yeah. that title because... That's your title. Uh, it's okay to use Mr. Universe. I'll just go with Father Universe. Father Universe. Okay, we've got Father Universe. Okay. Okay. Maybe we can check out see oh, Mother Angelica was Mother Universe, I guess. Then we can have that on the other side, right? Yeah. So, so we have right. one quick question, I think, before we go to the break. Uh, dear okay. Father Spitzer, on a previous show, I asked a question about converting to the Catholic Church and whether it was possible to have, quote-unquote, dual citizenship with both the Catholic Church and the Lutheran Church. Your answer to my question was, was in my thoughts for some time. I wanted you to know that between watching EW10 with my wife over the years and supporting her faith, I'm now in RCIA. The church I'm associated with is so well, warm and inviting. I will be officially a Catholic at Easter time this year. That's from Cliff. Yay. So good work. Cliff, wonderful. Thanks so much. You just made our day. There you go. Okay. With that being said, I think we're going to take our break. Uh, because we've got uh, a couple more questions and then our topic, which we'll be getting to. Okay. So stay right there, Father Spitzer, and stay right there as well. And we'll be back right after this break. Thanks. appreciate you staying with us for part two of Father Spitzer's Universe as we continue to talk about the moral wisdom of the Catholic Church as our topic. But first, we're finishing off on some of your questions. Uh, next up, dear Father Spitzer, my wife and I officially joined the Catholic Church a little over two years ago. I am a convert, and she is a revert who had not been in the church since her childhood. We previously worshiped with a Protestant congregation. My wife has a phobia about going to confession, and I believe she would be more at ease if she could confess in her native German. Hmm. Is it okay for her to confess in German uh -huh. even if the priest doesn't know that language? She would still be able to understand the well, penance and could say the act of contrition in English. And this is from Joe. 
I think you got to find somebody who understands the language, right? Yeah, yeah. you really do have to understand someone uh, who can understand language. But you know, if you just call up your um, uh, curia, your chancery mm. there for your diocese, you know, your, your diocesan offices, all you have to do is ask uh, there at the diocesan office for a priest who understands German. Mm -hmm. Invariably, I mean, in any large uh, diocese, or certainly in any archdiocese, mm -hmm. you will have many, many priests who understand German. Uh, certainly, um, uh, you know, you're, you're bound to have a priest or two in your diocese who does, and that might be the best thing to do. She could confess in German, and of course, she could have a, a little conversation Mm -hmm. um, with um, uh, the priest in German, and that probably would mm -hmm. be the best thing. But, oh, no, there's many, right. many German-speaking priests in, in just about every diocese. So um, uh, I'm not sure where she lives, but uh, uh, definitely um, I'm sure you can find them. Just call your, your um, diocesan offices there, mm -hmm. and they'll tell you a priest in, um, in a church near you. Right, there you go. Next up, uh, dear Father Spitzer, my grandson received the Holy Spirit board game for Christmas. The company promotes the quote-unquote okay. game by saying with other boards you have to worry about demons, but this one's totally safe and is in direct line to Jesus Christ himself. The board has a picture of the crucifixion, the Holy Spirit, a planchet in the shape of a cross. My daughter and her husband think this is harmless and may encourage my grandson to pray more. How do I show them that this is evil? This is Donna. So um, I'd heard about well, this, Donna, but I don't know much about it. there's something wrong yeah, with Yeah, so... I would definitely discourage this because, first of all, the way the Holy Spirit inspires is not with a planchet on a board. Right. You, you can just imagine that if you're starting to do things like this, you don't know it's the Holy Spirit. You absolutely have no idea. If you start working with a planchet on a board, these kinds of things, you're inviting any kind of spirit uh, in. It doesn't matter whether you are calling it the Holy Spirit, you've got to crucify Jesus there and so forth and so on. The whole technique is filled with superstition. Stop it. Mm -hmm. And that's the way to, to, to basically say, look, there's three reasons why you should not be playing this game. Number one reason is it very much feels like, guess what, a Ouija board using the same planchet, using the same devices. And that's the first reason. The second thing is it's filled with a superstition. In other words, uh, you know, this is not the holy way the Holy Spirit operates. The Holy Spirit operates through grace, through inspiration, um, and, and of course through the, the various conspiracies of divine prophecy that he, uh, 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 divine um, providence that he uses. And the main thing to remember is, of course, the Holy Spirit always wants you to be free. He's not going to be spelling out instructions <laughs> with, a, with a planchet. It's totally contrary to the way God th does things. God wants things done freely. God wants things done out of love, not because it was a response uh, by a planchet on a board. Absolutely do not use it. And the last thing uh, to note is not only is this complete superstition, mm. you don't know which spirit you're inviting in. Mm. You absolutely don't know what spirit you're inviting in there. You can say, well, I've got Holy Spirit in front of it. Boy, you start inviting spirits and you start inviting.
writing, writing on the planchet board and so forth and so on. All I can tell you right. is you are asking for it and you're asking for a, a demonic spirit to come in and pretend that he's the Holy Spirit. And just remember right. old Robbie Mannheim. He thought he was communicating with his spiritualist aunt, mm -hmm. a very nice figure. But in point of fact, he wasn't. He was communicating with the demon who he was inviting right into right. himself until, of course, he was finally possessed. Now, the point, um, you know, that I would just uh, advocate then is just please tell them this is not healthy for your child. It is mm -hmm. not harmless. It is filled with superstition. You don't know what um, a spirit you're inviting in. And, of course, this is contrary to any way that the Holy Spirit is known to act. The Holy Spirit acts rationally. The Holy Spirit acts according to freedom. The Holy Spirit is not using the same tools that the devil uses in order to encourage his tactics. So the main thing is, is you know, get, get, take that board right. and please encourage the parents you know, not, yeah. to, not to work with this anymore. This right. is a pure deception. I think anybody who uses Jesus in this way to sell a board like this that has obviously got demonic potential, this is just not just unethical. It, it's downright evil. Mm -hmm. And uh, just stop it. I've never heard of this before, but it's a terrible thing, terrible thing indeed. Right. I heard the name. I, I didn't know what, what it really was. And, of course, we're not supposed to be into yeah. necromancy anyway, let alone angels of light yeah. uh, who come to us with another gospel, so yeah. you never know who, who you're necessarily talking to, as you say. Next up, dear yeah, Father Spitzer, exactly. as a relatively new convert to Catholicism, I don't understand the difference between the way we address our pastor and the way he addresses his congregation. We refer to him as Father, as we should, but at the beginning of every Mass, during the penitential rite, the priest says, brothers and sisters, in order to prepare ourselves to celebrate yeah. the sacred mystery, etc. How can he be my spiritual father and my brother at the same time? Why this dichotomy, Daniel? Well, well Daniel, you know, in a way, uh, you know, there are two different contexts. I mean, what the priest is doing at the beginning of Mass is, of course, he, you know, he can be a spiritual director to, uh, uh, to everybody, and that's why the name of Father is there. But at the beginning of Mass, we're all coming together as congregants. Just like Christ can be our brother and, and is referred to um, as our brother uh, in many different contexts, so also a priest can be a brother to uh, the congregants. So it's perfectly mm -hmm. legitimate to call them uh, brothers and sisters. And then in the context, you know, uh, if you're addressing them, you know, to, uh, you know, as, as, you know, acknowledging, you know, their uh, uh, the spiritual direction, mm -hmm. uh, then, of course, you would address them as father. And so, you know, I, I guess a rabbi could even say the same thing. Mm -hmm. You know, he's addressed as teacher, uh, rabbi in one context, but he could address the congregants too as his brothers and sisters. So, um, you know, uh, uh, I, I, there's really no contradictions, two different uh, contexts. But uh, it's a great question. Uh, thank you. Okay, we're going to jump to true and false promises of happiness and freedom. Uh, mm -hmm. On page 69, two persuasive negative effects of social norming and sexual revolution from your wonderful book. Uh, so let me ask you, you say, given the consequences of treating sexuality as an end in itself, which of course we see in society and you talk mm -hmm. about in the book, and reprioritizing yeah. it, uh, it would pr you say it would prove helpful to probe more deeply into the causes of this cultural decline. And you talk about, and we talked a little bit just before, you know, the cultural, the idea of birth control pills and, and those kind of things. But you say there's another phenomenon called social norming. 
uh, and that the Internet right. plays a particularly important part in it. Talk about it and its effects. Sure. Uh, let me just review what we've already uh, talked about. Mm -hmm. uh, since the time of the birth control pill and, of course, Masters and Johnson study, et cetera, et cetera, since the time of the instrumentalization of sex, um, let's, this is in the uh, early 60s, let's take a look at what happened uh, in those years till today. First of all, we see that the marriage rate has gone down from 16 um, uh, marriages per 1,000 people in the United States to 5.1. So it's less than one-third of the marriages per 1,000 in the U.S. Less than a third as the population has gone up. Holy mackerel, that's very bad. Mm. Marital commitment is really good for kids, right? Having, uh, you know, a father and a mother is really a and that permanently, stably committed to one another is super important to kids. Kids are the ones who suffer most from divorce. Then take a look at the, the divorce rate. The divorce rate has tripled since the beginning of the sexual revolution. So you, you take a, a, the marriage rate is down to one-third. Now the, the divorce rate rate has tripled in the same time period, you are looking at a catastrophic, you know, um, a terrible uh, kind of a consequence for the family, and the family is what children need. So what should we expect when you've got, you know, almost, uh, you know, 40 percent of the children out there uh, today are mm -hmm. basically uh, coming from a family uh, which doesn't have that permanent, stable uh, commitment? And, and of course, I, I don't have to, you know, uh, Elizabeth mm -hmm. Mark Part's a great book on, you know, the there's no such thing as a good divorce uh, for the children, mm -hmm. right? That's a wonderful book because she points it out again and again, multiple case studies. But let's just take a look at, mm -hmm. just look, I'm, I'm not saying there's a, a pure causative effect here, but there's certainly a strong correlative effect mm -hmm. here. And what's the strong correlative effect? Since the beginning of the sexual revolution, look at the suicide rate um, and look at the homicide rate and look at the depression and anxiety rate. Heck, look at them just in the last 20 years. The suicide rate of um, uh, children has gone up over 100 percent. The homicide rate has gone up over 50 percent. Depression and anxiety levels have gone up over 100 percent. And, and, and I mean, these are leaps and bounds uh, where we're seeing that, you know, children today <laughs> You know, they're having, like, mega problems we never had. And you have to say to yourself, well, is it just, you know, the level two culture, the ego compared to culture? Yes, it's partially that. Is it the loss of religion? Yes, it is partially that. But it's the loss of the family. And that darn sexual revolution is part of the loss of the family. Now, let's get to your question, mm -hmm. namely the whole thing about mm -hmm. social norming. How mm -hmm. is that exacerbating the whole problem? The reason that it is is because social norming means, like, if I don't have a religious norm in me or a philosophical belief in me or a traditional norm that's in me, right? So all I have to kind of judge my moral compass, I don't have the religious background, I don't have anything sort of philosophical, I don't have a tradition, strong tradition in my family, what do I do? I turn to the culture. And the question I ask is, hey, what's mainstream? I don't want to be too out there, mm -hmm. and I don't want to underplay either. I want to be right in the mainstream. That's my moral compass, is the mainstream. Mm -hmm. So I start looking out there, and all of a sudden I see a rise 
in, um, you know, let's say, um, a, a rise in premarital sex. Or I see, oh, look, you know, Tinder is doing, uh, you know, doubling the number of its customers or whatever mm -hmm. it is. And I'm looking out there and I go, well, you know, gosh, I haven't had any extramarital affairs of late. Mm -hmm. I mean, maybe I can have a few and catch up with the mainstream, right? Okay. So now look at what happens when you start, I know I'm saying this in total jest, mm -hmm. but I mean, the point I'm trying to get to is people do this. And because they say, hey, you know, um, these other people, they're doing much worse things than I'm doing. Right. I, I can just sort of, you know, I, I got a little room to quote unquote grow. And so they push up and they start, uh, you know, moving toward whatever, more premarital, more extramarital, more whatever marital uh, right. kind of um, uh, sexual experiences. But what does that do? Hey, that increases the statistic. Now the mainstream has an increased statistic, right? Mm -hmm. Another kind of goal, as it were, that people can move to. And of course, it then advances itself. Mm -hmm. So there's a natural right. uh, internal push toward immorality, toward things which we would have never considered. I mean, an extramarital affair, uh, even 40 years ago, would be viewed as really serious, horrible, consequent, uh, you know, conduct. Now you've got actually whatever, you know, mm -hmm. whatever, you've got all these things where people are actually negotiating, you know, extramarital affairs on a website, you know, and you're just scratching your head going, doesn't anybody see this is going to kill your spouse? It's going to kill the family. It's going to kill, kill, kill your children when the inevitable divorce results. Aren't you? Don't you see? This is terrible. And of course, they don't see because their eyes are not on the consequences. Their eyes don't are not on a religious norm to the country. Mm -hmm. Their eyes are not on what's God's will for the family and for those children. Their eyes are on one thing: the mainstream. Mm -hmm. How do I compare? And they're going to move right. up to wherever that mainstream is, the moral compass of our country. Therefore, if you look at um, uh, the last Gallup polls, uh, you just look at the Gallup polls, the way Americans rate one another in their moral commitment. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, you just go back 30 years and you start looking at where we are today. Used to be about 30 years ago, half of the population uh, would have said that people are pretty much uh, morally good about, you know, another quarter would have said, you know, they're at least fair, mm -hmm. you know, and only a quarter would have ranked, you know, uh, conduct poor. Today, it's the opposite. You know, you've got 3% say Americans' moral conduct or something is very good. You know, then the good is still pretty small percentage. Fair gets a little bit bigger, but poor is the biggest percentage. So, I mean, even we don't believe now. I mean, mm -hmm. we've gotten, you know, socially normed to the point where our conduct is so outrageous, so destructive of the family, so destructive of the beauty of sexuality, so destructive of commitment, and therefore so destructive of covenant love, which is a beautiful part of marriage and the beautiful stabilizing part for children within marriage. I mean, you look at it and you go, we, we don't even believe the myth right. anymore. We've social normed well, we, ourselves into believing we, 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 that the rest of us are right. really immoral. Sorry. Right. What do they used to call defining deviancy <laughs> down? So now poor behavior yeah. is acceptable behavior. Yeah. It's, uh, I know it's poor, but That's it's okay. Right that it's poor. Yeah. You said through yeah. publishing accurate statistics about alcohol use, drug use, cheating, sexual behavior, we can have a healthy effect on students. You were talking about college students in this part. Discover the reality about these behaviors are much lower than what they perceive them 
to be. But then, as you just said, you can have that unhealthy effect because then they say, oh, well, I've got room to grow yeah. because I'm, I, I'm way yeah. below the norm so I can go up. Then this other part, which certainly yeah. I think is, is so, so important in, in the kind of the psyche of the United States, the expression, what becomes legal yeah. eventually becomes normal, and what becomes normal becomes accepted as moral and reflects the same reality. Mm -hmm. that's, that's incredibly yeah. true, especially here in the United States. Oh, absolutely, and that's what, it, what happens all the time. You legalize something, the next thing is people do it, or they perceive that people are doing it. Mm -hmm. So there is the perception that this is normal after the legalization takes place. Then since everybody's doing it, and of course I don't have any moral compass other than the mainstream of what quote unquote everybody is doing, mm -hmm. it automatically becomes moral because my moral compass is now determined by the mainstream of people's conduct. And so like I said, we don't even believe the myth anymore. Look at those Gallup polls over the last 30 years. Mm -hmm. It's just been a straight downward poll. We don't even believe that uh, Americans themselves are any kind of a moral force individually or collectively. Mm -hmm. I mean, we don't believe it. And of course, maybe we're right about our own judgment of our own culture. But there are still very, very good religious people, very good morally uh, you know, uh, 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 committed people from maybe their tradition their, their, uh, you know, um, uh, that they uh, mm -hmm. came into this country with or maybe uh, even have some philosophical beliefs. But normally it's religion that stabilizes the moral compass. The weaker religion becomes, the more um, the social norming effect takes hold, the more the social norming effect takes hold, the more the mainstream just transitions out of sight in terms of you know, recontextualizing what were formerly immoral deeds into moral deeds, and you can pretty much see we're in a basket case situation. Frankly, I think religion alone is the only thing that's gonna rescue this country. You know, and religious commitment uh, is, is going to be the, the moral force that will rescue us. Or if we abandon religion more and more, as we have done so and our kids mm -hmm. are doing, you know, and I'm, we're trying to, to combat this, and certainly uh, the Maja Center, and mm -hmm. certainly trying to combat it in EWTN. But the, the main point that uh, uh, I, I would just have to say is we've got to stop, we've got to turn it around, we have to strengthen moral conviction. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, uh, honestly, I shouldn't be so negative, but our culture's going to be gonzo. I mean, we're just going to go right. into the darkness, and we're going to believe that the darkness is the light, and right. of course, we're going to believe that the devil is an, uh, you know, is an angel, and we're going to believe at the end of the day, uh, we're going to talk ourselves into the belief that, oh yeah, genocide's a great thing. Hmm, wonder right. whether that's ever happened before yeah. in history. Right. I rest my case. Right, that, that old line from the movie, The Big Chill, where I can go go for a whole day yeah. without eating, but I can't go f for more than a couple hours without one juicy rationalization, you know, to get through the day. Yeah, so, exactly. You know. Absolutely. So, and, and you talk Absolutely. about that idea of perception can 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 just impact us just as we perceive society. And in, in the closing minutes, I wanted mm -hmm. to jump out of the this because the next time I, I want to jump way ahead in the book to page 148 having about the spiritual effects of pornography but before we go there in the yeah. closing minutes here I wanted to pick up on what you just said about young people and what the Magic Center is trying to do because uh, there was an article in Crisis Magazine it was called The Secret to Evangelizing oh. the Nuns okay 
and it's by Harry mm -hmm. Crocker, who uh, actually did a series with us a number of years ago on the history of the Catholic okay. Church. He's always had an interesting take on things. Um, mm -hmm. In this, it says, the falling away from Christianity by young people is often a result of them cultivating shallowness, superficiality, and solipsism as a philosophy of life. And he, and he quotes a, mm -hmm. a recent study that talks about a fascinating report from, uh, from Lyman Stone at the Institute for Family Studies. I'm not sure. Shows that the uh -huh. recent sharp drop yeah. in religious affiliation in the United States comes not from adults losing their faith, but from children losing their faith far earlier than parents realize. According to Stone, parents of children born from the late 1990s and into the 21st century were uniquely unsuccessful in passing their faith on to their children. Goes on to say the arguments mm -hmm. that persuadable children to believe things are not necessarily rationally coherent or compelling by the time people are old enough to fully understand. Rather, the loss of religion is about childhood socialization. And they're talking about the whole idea of the Internet and how these people are being socialized. Your thoughts? Yeah. Oh, no, I think it's very true. I think um, the way the Internet does it is first of all it misuses science so it basically implies that most scientists are atheists we know that that's not the case we know that 51 percent of scientists are actually believers in god uh, only uh, 20 uh, percent of scientists overall declare themselves to be atheists 20 percent declare themselves agnostic mm -hmm. eight percent are too um, uh, you know um, hard-pressed to, to, to say because they don't want to declare. Uh, obviously, young scientists, you can see that now a supermajority of young scientists, 66 percent, are believers in God. Only 15 percent declare themselves atheists, and of course 15 percent uh, declare themselves agnostics. And of course, you can see the trend shifting. But what do they get? What do the kids get on the internet? They get God delusions, spaghetti monster God, all mm. the Dawkins propaganda, which is totally unfounded in any statistic. And by the way, the, you're not going to find anything on these critical studies in near. That's why Maja Center exists. You know, uh, just go to MajaCenter.com. I beg anybody who's got a kid who's you know suffering from this, just mm. go to MajaCenter.com. Just get these you know these videotapes on, on near-death experiences the true studies that have been done hey last year just alone you know the New York Academy of Sciences declared that it was a, a, a you know a real credible possibility that your consciousness is going to survive bodily death you'd have never heard that from the New York Academy of Sciences 10 years ago but you do today because the peer-reviewed medical studies are so overwhelming that you know the idea of you having a soul that'll survive bodily death is actually becoming scientifically acceptable our young scientists believe it for sure they believe it. They know uh, some of these statistics very well. And of course, the, the same thing holds true with, you know, now you got Stephen Hawking, who's basically coming around and going, well, you know, even if there is a multiverse, it has to have a beginning and a very small number of bubble universes. Oh my gosh. Well, that means all the fine tuning arguments, you know, for, for life uh, really look like it, they have to be caused by an intelligent creator. Mm -hmm. Don't you think that young physicists and cosmologists are aware of these? Of course they are. How come so many doctors, 76% of doctors, uh, believe in God. Well, why is that? Well, because so many of them have experienced, uh, you know, other uh, have heard other people's near-death experiences, certainly have validated some of uh, the data that they saw because, of course, they were outside the hospital and so forth when they saw it. blind people seeing uh, perfectly and accurately mm -hmm. during clinical death, etc. But more than that, these doctors, 74% of them believe in miracles past and present. And why is that? Because they see miracles all the time in their own practice. Happens. You know, naturalistic 
simply an inexplicable event. So I'll put it that way, not a formal miracle. But, I mean, it looks like a miracle mm -hmm. to them. I mean, all the kinds of things are happening out there, and yet no one's telling the story. So right. please, I beg of you, I know this is a propaganda ad for <laughs> modulcenter.com, but I beg of you, send your kids there if they're having problems. But uh, what that crisis article says is absolutely right. They're right. getting it off the Internet. And that's why the CARA study, uh, Center for Applied right. Research in the Apostolate at Georgetown, that's why they declared 13 now is the median age when children make up their minds to leave not right. only the church but religion. Good church-going kids right. from your good church-going families. So you really got to be right. careful. Absolutely. And uh, like I said, you know, send them to Maja Center and get right. Some stuff. And then just remember, propaganda and truth are not the same thing. So you're talking about the truth. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> I wouldn't worry about yeah. it, Father. If you'd like to give us your blessing out the door, that'd be great. You bet. Bow your heads and pray for God's blessing. And may the Lord of all wisdom, the Lord of all knowledge, the Lord who is omnipotent and omniscient, may that Lord lead you and guide you by the Holy Spirit. He has provided us with all that we need, the evidence, the grace, the love that uh, surrounds us in our churches. May he, through that church and through the sacraments and through your prayer, reveal himself ever more deeply to you so that you might lead others into the fullness of hope and salvation in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you so much, Father Spitzer. Always a pleasure. We shall see you next time. We hope to see all of you next time. And don't forget, Father Spitzer's books and DVDs are available through our EWTN Religious Catalog, EWTNRC.com, All Things Catholic. We'll continue with some new chapters from Father's book, The Moral Wisdom of the Catholic Church, next time. And EW10 Bookmark, a special one, Standing Strong, Good Discipline Makes Great Teens with Dr. Ray Garindi. The reason I say that, it's the last show that uh, we actually taped with my great friend and, co and producer, Lee South, so we dedicate that to her. And also want to promote uh, Of One Heart in response to Christian persecution around the world. Composer Paul Jenberg wrote a mass for persecuted Christians. We talked about them earlier on the show. He plays excerpts from the Mass and discusses how he tries to inspire others through his music. Check it out Friday at 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. I'm Doug Keck. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll see you next time.